Thrive Church, thanks for joining us online today. Man, I'm so excited to have you with us. I am Kevin, the lead pastor here at Thrive. And what you're going to discover is that we're one church in two locations. And so what we do, we use a teaching team. So today you'll get to hear from myself or one of our other communication team members, whether it be a campus pastor or or another staff member, uh, to share today's message. We love to see God move in your life. And so I'm excited that today's message is going to impact you. Uh, beyond today's message, also, if you've not downloaded our app yet, you can download our app, Thrive Church app, where you can uh, give, you can listen to messages, you can sign up for small groups, you can sign up to serve, you can sign up for almost anything except being an astronaut and going to the moon, because we don't do that. But everything else, you can sign up to do it on our app. And so we're pumped today that God's going to move in your life to today's message. So, on to today's message. Good morning, Thrive Church. How are we this morning? All right, man, it's good to have you guys. We are kicking off a brand new series today, and this will continue over the next several weeks in the book of 1 Thessalonians. And one thing we love to do here at Thrive Church is we love to go through a book of the Bible verse by verse and walk you through it. And the reason is I believe that some of you would like to, like to read your Bible at home. Say amen. And you can actually uh, like journey with us. You can ask questions and try to figure out, like, oh, I wonder what this means. And then guess what? When you show up, you get to figure that out. Well, today we're going to start with this uh, verse by verse in the book of First Thess- Thessalonians. We're going to start in the book of Acts, actually, in Acts 17, verse 1. You can go ahead and turn there. Uh, how many of you have ever had the awkward, weird, controversial, and polarizing conversation over a family dinner? Right? Isn't that the, the scary thing as you go to family dinners, especially over the holidays? You're like, I hope that we don't get into anything awkward. My wife is always the one who's like giving me the eyes like, can you please not go there? Like literally don't go there. And I'm the guy who always goes there. Well, there's a study recently that one third of people said they would rather not attend a family gathering, just, just not even go at all, if they had to deal with something that was controversial, such as politics or religion. They're like, I'd rather just not even see my family. And that's how we are in human nature. We're like, you know what? I would rather not deal with it if it's going to be that weird and that awkward and that controversial. Well, today we're going to talk about something really polarizing and something very controversial. And it has nothing to do with politics. You can now sigh. But we're going to talk about the gospel and what the gospel does in society and the implications of the gospel, and especially in the first century. What we're going to look at today in the book of Acts is actually the kickoff of the church at Thessalonica. You can't start in the book, you need to learn the history. First of all, that city, which you can still go there today, again, it's a real city, this is not a book of fairy tales, that city in the Middle East was a very diverse city. A lot of Jews were in that city. A lot of God-fearing Greeks were in that city. It was the capital city of Macedonia. And Paul and his team set out on a missionary journey to go there and share the gospel. Now realize this, what I'm going to share with you. In the first century, when Paul goes to this city, we're going to read, there were no Christians there. They had never heard of the gospel. There were no churches Christianity did not exist. And so Paul and his team go there on a missionary journey. And we're going to see what happens because they go in with the gospel and they get a reaction that you and I probably never will get when we're sharing the gospel. If you have your copy of God's Word, look at Acts chapter 17. It says that Paul and Silas then traveled through the towns of Amphipolis and Apollonia. And came to Thessalonica. Well, there's a Jewish synagogue. So realize Paul was a Jew, right? 
So when he would go into a city, the first people he would try to reach were the Jews. And here's why, because they already had a concept of Messiah. So it wasn't a foreign concept. He would go in and say, hey, I'm a Jew, you're a Jew. We've been waiting for Messiah. You've read the book of Isaiah. You know what Moses taught? Like, oh, yeah, yeah, we, we've been waiting. And then he would try to convince the Jews about Messiah. So that was his, his strategy in most cities. Verse 2, as was Paul's custom, he went to the synagogue service, and for three Sabbaths in a row, he used the scriptures, that's the Old Testament, that's all they had back then, to reason with the people. He explained the prophecies and proved that the Messiah must suffer and rise from the dead because they didn't believe that. And he had to show them that Jesus really was the Jewish Messiah and the Messiah for, um, for all people. He said, this Jesus I'm telling you about is the Messiah. Some of the Jews who listened were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, along with many God-fearing Greek men and quite a few prominent women. But look at verse 5, and this is where the rubber hits the road, the stuff hits the fan. But some of the Jews were jealous, so they gathered some troublemakers. Uh, if you watch Umizumi, you know all about the troublemakers. Parents with kids under the age of five just got that. The rest of you, it just went right over your head. It says, it got some troublemakers from the marketplace to form a mob and start a riot. They attacked the home of Jason, searching for Paul and Silas so they could drag them out to the crowd. This is pretty serious. Paul's preaching the gospel, people are responding, and then they, the Jews, cause such a riot, they're going to drag these guys out of a house, going house to house, and they're going to beat these guys. This is uh, pretty polarizing, I would say. And it says this, not finding them there, they dragged out Jason and some of the other believers and instead took them before the city council. Paul and Silas have caused trouble all over the world, they shouted. And now they are here disturbing our city too. Verse 7 says, and Jason has welcomed them into his home. They are all guilty of treason against Caesar. Now remember the reason that Jesus Christ was crucified. The reason that Jesus was crucified is because the Jews told the Roman leaders, this guy claims to be king, and this is treason. So they're trying the same trick with Paul, hoping they'll just kill Paul too. For they profess allegiance to another king named Jesus. Verse 8 says, the people of the city as well as the city council were thrown into turmoil by all these reports. And skip down to verse 13. But when some Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God in Berea, watch this, they went there and stirred up trouble. So Paul goes to a different city, he's sharing the gospel there, and these guys follow him down there to stir up trouble. Verse 14 says, the believers acted at once, sending Paul onto the coast, while Silas and Timothy remain behind. Uh, one thing that I want you to understand here that happens is that Paul brings the message of Jesus, the gospel, to a city that had never heard it. And some did receive it. A church started there, and that's where Paul writes the letter we'll look at the next several weeks. But what happened there was extreme persecution to the gospel. There was hostility toward the gospel. And I want you to realize something about these controversial and polarizing conversations that you may have over family dinners, that there's something in common with the gospel, and it's this. I want you to write this down in your notes. The gospel can be controversial and polarizing. The message of Jesus can be controversial and polarizing. And if you're a follower of Jesus in here, you have to know that. Because many of us don't realize that we may not get dragged out into a city or brought before a city council. But in our daily world, the world that we live in, 
What we share, the message of Jesus, can be controversial and polarizing. And here's why. Now, the message of Jesus is inclusive. All can be saved. God loves the world, and we know that. But the message of Jesus is also exclusive, too. And here's how. Because it is the message of truth, that there's one way to heaven. Truth is not relative. Truth is absolute. And what our society would love to do is say, yeah, 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 but Jesus was just a good teacher. He taught the way of love. Well, yes, he, he taught about love. But Jesus also said this. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and no one can go to the Father except through me. That was not only the teachings of Jesus, but also his disciples taught that through the world with the gospel. And what happens in our world, and here's what happens to me and probably what happens to you, is because that gospel message is polarizing, we tend to shy off a little bit, don't we? Let's just back off. Or we misunderstand the gospel or misrepresent the gospel. Matter of fact, like the other day, um, you know, I'm, I'm out hanging out, you know, with some, some, uh, some guys and, and uh, you know, they're, they're kind of unbelievers, not really following Jesus. But one of the guys, God wants to make a kind of a point of contact with me, he finds I'm a pastor and we're playing ball together. He says, hey man, I heard you're a pastor. I just want you to let you know that I believe in the power of prayer too. Now that's a noble statement, right? And of course, at that point, I didn't say, yeah, but let me tell you about the gospel. You know, I'm not that guy. So in real time, I didn't do that. But many people think that believing the power of prayer is, is the gospel, or I believe in God, and that's the gospel. The demons believe in God. Well, I, I believe Jesus existed, and that's the gospel. See, many times, because the gospel is polarizing, we tend to water it down into something very, very generic. And here is the gospel. Here is the message of Jesus. And this is what Paul preached and Peter preached and that has been preached for centuries. This is what brings people salvation. And here it is, is that Jesus is God's one and only son of the same nature and essence of God sent by God the Father to be the Passover lamb to be sacrificed for our sins. I mean, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane kneels down. He says, God, if there be any other way, if Muhammad can do this, then don't send me to the cross. If Buddha can do this, then, then don't let me go to the cross. If all religions can be one, then we can all coexist like those dumb stickers say. Because <laughs> then please don't send me to the cross. But Jesus said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And Jesus Christ sent from the Father to be the sacrifice for our sins. Goes to the cross. He's crucified. He is buried, and on the third day, God raises him from the dead. And then Jesus stays on the earth 40 days, teaching and preaching the kingdom of God, and he ascends into heaven right before his disciples. And one thing you have to realize is, is that the gospel is that we cannot work ourselves to heaven. We can't get there by being just good people. It is truly by surrendering our life to Christ and believing that his finished work on the cross was enough to get us there. That is the message. And so we love everyone. And in love, we share the gospel. But because it can be polarizing, because it can be controversial, we're like, oh, yeah, maybe I don't really need. I mean, I heard one journalist say this. There's a Christian who's a journalist and works in a big, big, one of the uh, you know, big newspapers. And in an interview, here's what he said about working there in New York City. Only believer that he knows in that whole place. He said, here's the deal. He said, the people there in journalism aren't hostile toward Christianity. 
they just don't really believe anybody believes that a God would rise from the dead and that all that stuff's real. They think it's like fairy tales. Like, really? People actually, like, people actually gather like this and listen to a God talk and they believe in all this? They kind of see it as irrelevant. And we live in a generation that's post-Christian. We're not in Christian America anymore, right? Have you, have you looked around? And so the message we carry can be polarizing. It can be controversial. But I want to tell you something. It is the message of hope. It is the message that transforms lives. And so here's your next step today. I want you to, to write this down. Don't let the controversy of the gospel keep you from carrying the gospel. Don't let the controversy of it keep you from carrying it. Because what will happen is that we will just back off and never share our faith. We'll never share the message of Jesus because it's a little controversial. It can, it can split some friendships up. People can look at you with side eyes. People can get upset with you. People can get angry with you because of that message. But friends, I'm telling you, it is the message of hope for the world. We are not asking people to join a religion. You can't join Christianity. You understand that? You can't nationalize Christianity and people all follow. It's not a bunch of rules. It literally is a person surrendering to the lordship of Jesus and their life is just transformed. I went to church before I gave my life to Christ. Didn't change me. I believe like the Bible was something holy and, ooh, you know, let's, let's, don't, you know let's, let's don't roll our joints on it, right? That's, that's the way I did before I got saved. Like, I, so there's something unique about it, right? But I, I, my life wasn't transformed. My grandmother and grandfather taught me, don't do this and don't do that, and then you'll be a Christian. I was like, well, I can't do that. But I had a friend. And this friend gave his life to Jesus, and I share this all the time because it's the first time I'd ever seen transformation. I knew religion. Like, I went to church on Sundays when my grandmother would invite me. I got my Bible when I graduated uh, high school, right? But my friend who did drugs with me all the time, I mean, he was just like, we were, we were way out there, and his dad was a pastor, so I knew somebody was praying. And he went to a youth camp, and I was like, camp? What? What, it's like a work camp, Peace Corps, what is that? I remember calling his mom on the, you know, on the phone. You didn't have cell phones back then. And she said he went to a camp, and he comes back, and he, he's like transformed. It's like, hey, bro, you, you, you want to go smoke one? He's like, no, I don't do that anymore, man. What is wrong with you? Well, hey, man, there's a party next weekend. You're like, no, I don't do that anymore. And I, and I looked at him, and his eyes twinkled before he was dead behind the eyes. And he twinkled, and, he, and there was something different about him. And I'll never forget the day that I wanted to punch him in his face. Just being honest, I wasn't saved, don't look at me like that. We were in a, in a Wendy's, and our best friend Andy had just died. Aneurysm, sudden, sudden death. And Andy was like, that was like the drug house. You go over there, he was a very popular guy in that city. Um, nobody knew he was doing that, and he just had all this over there all the time doing that. And so... And he dies of aneurysm. And I'll never forget, I knew Eric just really believed in this Jesus stuff. And I looked at him in Wendy's, I said, and I said, man, if Andy didn't go to heaven, nobody went to heaven. Andy was a good guy. And he looked at me in my eyes. He said, Andy, unless he repented of his sins, did not make it to heaven. He didn't surrender to the lordship of Jesus. He said he was an enemy of God by the wicked works of his mind, quoting Colossians. I'll never forget it. And man, I got so angry at him. I was like, man, you need to shut up, is what I said to him. What you Foolish, you know, I, then I said a bunch of stuff I can't say in church. You might confuse it for speaking in tongues or something, right? 
But my friend Eric never backed down. Now, he wasn't mean to me or rude to me. But he never, ever stopped carrying the gospel knowing that it could separate our very friendship. He didn't let fear grip him of what he may lose. And I'm telling you, when I gave my life to Christ, my life was completely transformed. It's not a religion we're asking people to join. We're not asking them to just come to a church and just believe in a God. We're asking them to invite the God of the universe into their life. To have a relationship with the Father through Jesus, that's the greatest gift ever. That's what we're asking. But many times, if you're like me, we let fear get in, don't we? And the greatest fear is I wonder what, 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 what they'll think about me. If I share this with them, I wonder what they'll think. One of the most misquoted verses in all the Bible is 2 Timothy 1.7, right? So like uh, 2 Timothy 2.1, 2, uh, 2.7, excuse me. And so he says this, Paul writes to Timothy, and here's what he says to him. And you know this, you've seen it in a card somewhere, you've said it to somebody, you've got the, even if you're not a follower of Jesus, you know this one. Like, he says, he, he says, again, we don't have a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. We don't have a spirit of fear, power, love, and a sound mind. And we always use that verse to talk about like just general fear. Maybe it's fear of climbing a mountain. Maybe it's fear of crossing a bridge. Maybe it's fear of the future. And we try to encourage each other with that, don't we? Oh, man, brother, God's not giving you a spirit of fear. You're like, yeah. Do you understand when Paul wrote that to Timothy, here's what was happening. Timothy was part of that team in Thessalonica. He saw Jason get drug out. He was there during the persecution. And he was pastoring a church in Ephesus. And Paul writes this letter to Timothy. And in that letter there, he uses this word unashamed more than any other letter. Like, don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. Why would Timothy be ashamed? Why would he have fear? Because he knew this gospel that he carried in a hostile city like Ephesus or Thessalonica could cost him his very life. And Paul said, man, don't, don't be filled with fear when it comes to the gospel. God's giving you a spirit of power when it comes to sharing the gospel with others. He's giving you a, a, a sound mind. He's giving you love to share it. In other words, Paul was saying, don't let the controversy of the gospel, Timothy, stop you from carrying the gospel to a world that desperately needs it. There was a man recently uh, killed on the mission field. He decided to go to an unreached people group. No one had ever reached him. And he would go on the shore, and they warned him many times. Don't come. Don't come. And John Chow recently came onto the shore, and these men and women killed him on the shore there. See, I'm not asking you to give your life up. I'm not asking you to go to a shore of an island somewhere. But what I am asking is when God presents opportunities to you in your daily walk, and you know the Holy Spirit opens that door, don't beat the door down. When that happens... Don't let the controversy, don't let the persecution keep you from sharing in love the greatest message ever, which is the message of Jesus, right? So here's what we have to do. How do we do this? I got three thoughts for you. So as you go upon your daily routine, as you're out and about this week, and you're, you know, you're interacting with people, here's three things that you have to do when it comes to carrying the gospel. The first one is this. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> Expect rejection. Expect rejection. You're going to be rejected. Do you know why people fear public speaking so much? Because it's, they fear people are not, that people are rejecting them. 
you get to somewhat just kind of not care what people think, right? You just do your thing. You, you got to do you, boo, right? So <laughs> when it comes to, to carrying the gospel, you got to expect rejection. Paul was rejected every place he went. He always faced this. He was beaten. He was, he, I mean, eventually he was martyred for this. And sometimes we think, well, if God's in it, it's going to go smoothly. That's not the case even with the gospel. You're going to face kickback. You're going to face persecution. And you're going to face rejection. I'll never forget the first time I faced re- ultimate rejection. Now, when I gave my life to Christ, I lost all my friends. You realize that. Like, so some people will sacrifice the gospel. They don't be lonely, right? They won't have friends. And so they give up on the gospel to have friends. Well, I lost all of my friends. Well, it's not only that. I remember I was, I came home from, uh, from, from youth uh, discipleship one night, you know, studying the word and things like that. I'm, and I'm in my room reading the book of James. First time I'd actually been through the Bible, so I was just getting through James. And I walk into the kitchen, and my dad and Uncle Dave are there. He's my godfather. I just always called him uncle. And uh, I go in, and they're both, you know, hanging out with Seagrams, Mr. Seagrams. Anybody know Seagrams? You know who that is, right? If you don't, you can, you can look it up later. And so there, you know, Mr. Seagram's had a very powerful effect on those two. And so I go in there, and, and, and they're, they're drinking and carrying on and whatever. And, and Uncle Dave stops me, and, and my life had been radically transformed. My dad couldn't believe what had happened, but didn't like the gospel. And my Uncle Dave said to me, he said, hey, Kevin, I'm going to tell you something. I'm proud of you. And he's like, you know, man, like, I believe in God too, man. That's good, man. God loves everybody. I'm just proud of you. And I've been saved about three months, so don't judge me. I'll probably not do it like this again. But I looked at my Uncle Dave, and I said, Uncle Dave, that's, that's great. I said, but I was just reading the book of James that even demons believe in God, at least they tremble at it. I said, believing in God doesn't save you. I said, you've got to give your life to God. And I, I began to like to share the gospel, and my dad cut me off, and he cussed me out. He said, I will not have a televangelist in my house i will not have a little jimmy swaggart i will not have a little jim baker in here you and he, he told me to shut up and go to my room and never mention that in his house again or he would blank 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 this to me and i went to my room and i just cried not just because of the rejection number one it hurts when your dad does that to you right but number two my heart broke for those guys who didn't know the gospel i'll never forget that rejection And so when you're facing rejection, understand this, believers who share the gospel all face it. And you know what was said about Jesus? Isaiah, thousands of years before Jesus ever came, Isaiah writes that he would be a man of sorrows that would be rejected by many. John, in John chapter 1, writes this. He says he, Jesus, came to his own creation, and his own creation received him not. How sad is that? To come to the people you created, to the world, the earth you created, to provide salvation, relationship with the Father once again. And the response to you is, let's kill this guy. And that's what Jesus faced. So you're going to expect rejection. Here's the next thing. How do we carry a controversial gospel? You have to do this. Here's number two. Show it, don't shout it. Show it, don't shout it. For many of us, we need a life worthy of the gospel to match what we're saying about the gospel. The worst thing we can do is talk a good game but not walk a good game, right? That's the worst thing we can do. And so make sure that that you show the gospel to people in love. Like my friend Adam, uh, you know, 
he had this to say, and he turned away to atheism. And, and here's what he said. He said, so you're telling me that the God of the universe lives inside of people who surrender to Jesus through the way of the Holy Spirit. And he, he came to church with us. He used to believe in Christ. I said, yes, exactly right. He said, okay. And he kept going on and on and on. He said, okay, good. What about that guy? What is wrong with him then? Why does he do everything? He has worse morality than I have. But you say the God of the universe lives? He says, I can't buy into that. I don't see it. I don't, I don't see it. That guy talked about it. He didn't see it. My friend turned away. He said, it's just not real. See, it says in Romans 5, 8, that God demonstrated his love for us. That while we were yet still sinners, he sent his one and only son. He demonstrated. See, God didn't shout his love from heaven. God showed his love from heaven. And what we have to do when we carry the gospel is we have to have the fruit of the Spirit to make people attracted to our life. They should say, how are you so graceful during that situation? How did you keep your calm? Why did you, you know, like me in sports, and I, I do something stupid or say something mean to someone, and I go say, man, I'm really sorry, will you forgive me? And they're like, forgive you? What? What's wrong with you? That's weird. Men don't ask men for forgiveness. You're weird. And that's how we should be. We should have self-control and meekness and gentleness and patience. And so the world looks at us and I say, man, there's something you have that I want. We've got to show God's love, not shout his love at people. And here's the final point today. How do we carry a controversial gospel? Make the main thing the main thing. Let me explain this as we close. Let's make the main thing the main thing. Here's what we do. We try to redeem people to a political party. We preach the gospel of our political party. Some of you are more, are more impassioned about your political party than you are Jesus. Some of you are more vocal about the people you follow in politics than you are Jesus. And you're sitting down at a dinner table with a loved one, and you're trying to convince them to be redeemed to a party, whatever side you run on. Or maybe you're trying to redeem them to works-based righteousness. My grandmother and grandfather, God bless their souls, I love them. But their message to me was, if you don't do this and you don't do that, you don't do this, that makes you a Christian. Go to church and don't do bad things. And if the scales balance out, you'll get to heaven. And all I saw was, oh, well, that's what Christian, I can't be a Christian then. Because I can't stop doing those things. I don't know how to stop doing that. And what we're doing is we're, we're trying to preach the message that is not the message of Jesus to people. We're carrying all these other messages. We're getting in, in really dumb arguments with people. And I love what Paul said. He said this. He said, I want to do nothing among you except Christ and Christ crucified. When he would go preach the gospel in areas, he wasn't debating with them about all these other things. Peter wasn't debating with them about all these side issues. He made the main thing the main thing which is let's talk about Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. Because see, here's the thing. We try to convince people to believe in the flood before they believe in Jesus. Can I tell you something? I didn't believe in any of that, any of that at all before I, I, I come to know Christ. I thought all of it was made-up fairy tales that was ridiculous. I was like, really? Like this, a guy named Moses parted seas with a stick? Yeah, yeah, okay. What else do you want me to believe? I didn't believe the Bible before I got saved. 
And many, many of us are trying to get our friends to believe the Bible before they're believing in Christ. Here's what changed for me, and listen to me carefully. Yes, I do believe the Bible's inspired word of God. I believe it's infallible. I believe all that. But here's the deal. No one is saved by just believing the flood happened. When I gave my life to Christ, the Holy Spirit came inside of me, and I opened the scriptures, and I didn't understand it. I didn't know what was going on. But you know what? I struggled with believing some of the stuff. I was like, oh, really? Like, God, did that re- is this real or is it like, I don't know. And what we have to do is this, is redeem people to Christ first, and then he will show them all those things. He will work that out in their life. And as I went on, God began to reveal those things to me. But what we do, we get the cart before the horse. We don't get them, you know, believe in all these issues and topics and all those things. When your friends bring that up to you, they'll say, because I'll never forget a guy. This happened to me when I first got saved. He said, okay, he went through Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel and all that stuff. He said, what about the people of Nod? Where do they come from? And I didn't have enough sense back then. I tried to convince him about Cain and Abel and the the people of Nod. I should have said, hey, man, time out. You can have Nod, you can have Cain and Abel, you can have the flood, you can have all that. Let's talk about the historical resurrection of Jesus Christ. That there was eyewitness evidence. We have more documentation of Christ rising from the dead than we do for most of our historical figures in history. We have trusted, reliable documents and eyewitness evidence. That's what I should have carried it to. And I should have said this to him. You can have all of that. But here's the one thing you got to ask yourself. If he really did rise from the dead, if he really is God's son, then there is really only one way to God, and that's through Christ. And friend, you got to make a decision about that. That's what I should have brought it back to, and I didn't. Make the main thing the main thing when you're carrying the gospel. Know that you're going to be rejected when it happens. And show God's love to people. Don't just shout it from the rooftops. Now, as you leave today, here's what's going to happen. You're going to need courage, and you're going to need sensitivity as you go out into a world that needs this message of hope. So here's what we've got to do. Will you pray with me this morning? Because we're going to need God's help as we carry a controversial gospel. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we want to pause and ask for your empowerment by your Holy Spirit. That for everyone who names the name of Christ in here, help us to share the simple message of the gospel with people. Help us have open doors this week for the gospel. God, show us the ways that we can show your love to others. And help us, God, in relationship with others as we carry this controversial but powerful message. Holy Spirit, help us. Show us. Empower us. And God, today, if there's somebody that's struggling with the whole idea of the resurrection of Christ and giving their life to Christ. I pray the same way that you revealed it to me and many others throughout history, you would reveal to their heart today to surrender their life to Jesus Christ. And church, right where we're sitting this morning, I believe there's someone today who wants to make that decision. You know it's time to either come back to faith in Christ or for the first time ever, just like I did 20 years ago, you're going to surrender fully to Jesus. Right where you're sitting, it's this simple. You're going to pray after me. You're going to make this confession of faith. And so if you want to give your life to Christ today, right where you're sitting, I want you to do this. I want you to pray after me. And here you go. You say, God, I admit that I'm a sinner. But I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. I believe he died on the cross. I believe he rose again. 
on the third day. I believe that he is Lord. Today, God, forgive me of my sins. I repent of my sins. And I turn my life to you. Thank you for forgiving me of all of my sins. Thank you for cleansing me and making me whole. God, today, I surrender my whole life to you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Every week we get connection cards back saying that I made a decision for Jesus. Will you welcome somebody into the family of God today? Somebody made that decision, man. The greatest decision ever.